the truth. This is the life. This is the genius of Jesus. Video gets me pumped up. I love it. Um, he is risen, the genius of Jesus. When death thought it had its victory, he's alive. He's alive. And uh, I've entitled my message this morning, Come Alive. Come Alive. Um, we left Friday night after our Good Friday service. And Good Friday services, they're all like this for me. While, while we conclude it and we speak at the end, Sunday's coming, um, it always still leaves me with attention. Because it's like, it's like in music, I don't know if any musical people in here, when you have an unresolved musical chord, where you're going, it needs to get back to tonic, and it's just hanging there, and you're going, there's, there's tension. So even though we know the result, even though we know the resolve, it's, it's like this tension of, he, he's gone. And, and so, um, the, imagine the disciples, the naked, broken body of Jesus was hung on a tree between two criminals. And those that remained of the disciples watched as, as their leader, Jesus, was screaming in agony. Screaming in pain, practically disemboweled by the whips of the Romans, pinned with spikes to a, a piece of wood to hang there until he died an excruciating slow death, ultimately of suffocation. We have the benefit of having hindsight, <laughs> but imagine being in that moment, everything you hung your hopes on was gone. And Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, when this happened, the disciples were scattered. Peter denied even knowing who Jesus was. A little middle school girl asked him, aren't you someone that knows Jesus? He's like, never heard of the guy. He was, he was fearful. Um, and, and, and the problem was because Jesus was no longer this revolutionary figure where the crowds were getting behind him. Now he was a martyr. But not only was Jesus, he wasn't even really a martyr because a martyr uh, is a symbol. A martyr is someone that people can rally around and it brings uprising. But rather, he, he, Jesus' death put the disciples on notice because Jesus was now, they were going, we need to live in fear and defeat. Jesus was an enemy of the state. Jesus was an enemy of their own religion and their own culture. So they were not only isolated from the Romans who executed Jesus, but now they were put on notice that their own kinsmen, their own people, were probably going to look for them and hunt them down. So they were they didn't know who to trust. There were members of their own community and their own circle that were defectors that turned on their leader and turned him in, right? There was Judas, and so who do you trust? And so these people, they go, we left everything to follow Jesus, and we've walked away from everything. We've walked away from our families. We've walked away from our livelihoods. Now our leader is dead. And I'm sure this was a weekend that they had no idea how it would end up like this. They went into the holiday week. They went towards their Thanksgiving, basically, going, it's going to be a great holiday. And by the end of it, they had no idea it would end as it did. How many of us know that our best laid plans are never a guarantee? Um, I will stand before you and admit. I sent out an email and made a statement last Sunday that today would be 80 degrees. And that's, take it up with Apple. Their weather app told me it was going to be 80 degrees. And I watched in horror over the next two days as it went down to 72 and then 
67, and then 60, and then 57. I was going, what's going on? And so my best laid plans, my promises that I gave you, this is why I never said it was a prophecy. I just read the weather app. But uh, our best laid plans are never a guarantee. And I'm sure the disciples, they had their best laid plans all laid out for what was going to happen with Jesus, what, what it was all culminating in. Perhaps you've had something you felt you devoted your life to that your best laid plans that suddenly was taken away. Maybe it was a relationship and you thought you had it all laid out on what your life was going to look like with this person or these people. Maybe it was a career that suddenly shifted and changed or was pulled out from under you. Maybe it was a dream that you had and the reality of that dream was taken away. And I imagine that for these disciples, they were going, everything we had planned is suddenly gone. So Jesus is buried and and days pass. Friday comes to an end. It rolls into Saturday. Saturday goes by. And then Sunday morning comes. And resurrection happens. But as I was studying, this might sound controversial. So if you have a problem with it, well, I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize in advance. But resurrection happens and nothing changed. Because no one yet knew and no one yet believed. While Jesus did overcome death, his victory was complete. The victory meant nothing because no one had yet seen the evidence. No one had yet been told about what happened. No one had yet believed in what happened. So for Peter, for James, for Matthew, for John, for Mary, for Martha, for these disciples, life was going on as normal even after the resurrection happened. Without witnessing the resurrection or being told about it or even believing, the disciples were in the same state they were in on Saturday. They were in the same state they were in on Friday night. In the book of John, we're going to spend most of our time in the book of John today. If you have your Bibles, open them with me. We'll be mostly in John chapter 20 and 21. In the book of John chapter 20, verse 2, it tells about how Mary Magdalene went to the empty tomb She was going to embalm Jesus. She was going with the plan of, uh, I mean, this came on them without notice. They were not expecting Jesus' death. They hadn't gone to uh, Walmart and got all the embalming stuff ready for Jesus' death. It happened over the weekend and suddenly all the stores are closed. Everything's shut down. So the end of the holiday comes. She gets all the things together to go embalm Jesus' body. And it says in verse 2, she sees the empty tomb. And she says... They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. You see, an empty tomb didn't necessarily mean resurrection. She thought, could it be grave robbers? Could it be the Romans did this for some reason? Maybe the Jewish leadership? She didn't know what was going on. In her mind, someone stole Jesus' body. So, So the empty tomb didn't mean resurrection to her. So then she goes and tells the disciples, and Peter and John come running to check out the tomb. Now, when I was a little kid, our church did a, uh, a passion play and, and resurrection play where Peter and John come running to see the, the, the empty tomb. And one of the gentlemen who played John had a, a really bad limp. I believe one of his limbs was shorter than the other. So he came running and he was limping really heavily. And so all growing up, I just thought John had a limp. I just thought that's who the character was. I thought John has a limp. But <laughs> that's just a special extra aside there. 
So Peter and John, they arrive at the tomb. In John chapter 20, verse 6, it says, Then Simon Peter arrived, and he went inside, and he also noticed the linen wrappings, wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So he comes in, he sees it's empty, and he goes away puzzled. As a matter of fact, in Luke's gospel, in Luke 24, verse 12, it says, However, Peter jumped up, he ran to the tomb to look, stooping, he peered in and he saw the empty linen wrappings, then he went home again, Wondering what had happened. So the empty tomb is not necessarily proof of the resurrection. And seeing the empty tomb didn't change anything for Peter. It's important to see here that Jesus' followers were dealing with their own doubts. I love that the disciples documented their own disbelief. Do you see how cool... Like, the gospel doesn't sugarcoat this for us. It's not like, just believe it. Come on. They shows that they're dealing with like, this is impossible. What happened here? They're going through their own situation of the, anything other than resurrection probably happened. They're puzzling. They, it's dealing with their disbelief. And for them, a dead Jesus basically took them all the way back to the emptiness of life as it was before. If not worse, I mean, imagine the time and commitment that was given to this and it's suddenly gone. I, I'm reminded of that, uh, like catfishing, right? When you commit yourself to a relationship and you find out it's a fraud, a fraud and maybe you've given y- years of your life to this phantom relationship. Imagine having this relationship with Jesus. You've committed everything to it and it's, the, the rug is pulled out from under you. So they're back to square one, if not even worse. And without Jesus being alive, what's the point of life? Ultimately, that's the the question that we all deal with. I'm sure that 99.9% of us in this room have grappled with these same uh, issues and trying to come up with the conclusions of what's the purpose in life? Why am I here? As the writer of Ecclesiastes wrestled with, he said, is the purpose of life just to eat, drink, and be merry? Do we just fill life with the distractions and the things that make us feel good? What's reality? Is there ultimate truth that I can actually hold on to? Let me tell you, our world is ever-changing and what it's defining is truth. Our world is ever-relabeling and reclassifying what's truth. Ultimately, then they're going, what happens when I face my own death? If Jesus dies, he can raise the dead, but he himself died, he's dead. What happens when I face my own death? How many of us have ever wondered what's on the other side of this life? You see, unique from anything else in all of creation... We as human beings have the capacity to question our purpose. We have the capacity to contemplate our own mortality and what happens to us after death. There's nothing else on this earth that can have the capacity to do these things. And so God put this within us and and, and the disciples, I'm sure, are back at this point of going everything back to the elemental level is what is the point of it all? And and so the resurrection happens, they're puzzling and they're marveling, but Jesus would go on then to start making appearances to the disciples to show up and to actually show that he was raised from the dead. He, he showed up to, to the women that were at the tomb. He showed up to the disciples that were locked in a room because they were terrified of the, the government coming after them, right? And he showed up and made appearances to the disciples, which could or could not have included Peter. The Bible doesn't explicitly say if Peter was in that group. But for Peter, even if he had seen the risen Jesus, he hadn't engaged with the reality of the resurrection yet. Or what the implications of the resurrection were. He did what a lot of us did do in our life then. He went to work. 
How many of us just keep going with the, the, the grind, the daily grind? The alarm goes off, we get up, we go to work, we come home, we eat dinner, we go to bed. The alarm goes off, we get up, we go to work, come home, eat dinner, we go to bed, we live for the weekend maybe. And hope that we save up enough so that one day we can retire when we're not too old to enjoy it. That's what Peter did. John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. (laughs) But Peter's fishing isn't like a lot of the guys in the church here, or or ladies too, that just say fishing is like, you know, it's like a pleasure fishing. I'm going to go have a good time. This was commercial fishing. It was his occupation. It was his livelihood. And Peter said, I'm going back to my rhythm. I wake up. Go to work, go to bed, get to the weekend maybe, rinse, repeat, right? And ultimately, he's avoiding the bigger question that many people avoid of what's this all about? Is this what I'm just meant to do? So here's the wider context of what happens before Peter says, I'm going fishing. So if you look at verse 2 in John 21, verse 2, it says, Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter... Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. The people that were with Peter at this time were important. You see, there were the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee, their names are James and John. John was the other guy with the limp that ran to the tomb with Peter. And it says in in the book of John chapter 20 that when he looked in the tomb, he believed. Peter, not so much. But when John looked in the tomb, he believed. Also, it says there was a guy by the name of Thomas. Thomas in chapter 20. Again, this is before John John chapter 20, before chapter 21. This is what Thomas's experience was after the resurrection. Verse 24 of John 20. One of, the, one of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound on his side. Gross. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Thomas was one of those that was in the doubting category, who doubted the resurrection, but then he encountered the risen Jesus. He even touched his wounds. And so days later, Thomas is at the lake with Peter. Peter says, I'm going fishing. You better believe that Thomas and John are trying to explain to Peter what's going on. Do you realize Jesus is alive? Do you realize we've seen him? I touched the wounds. He's alive. But whatever caused it, Peter was not coming to terms with what the resurrection meant. Even if he had seen the risen Jesus, he had not come to terms with it yet. So we give Thomas a hard time for doubting. But Peter was in the same boat, no pun intended. (laughs) Peter was in the same situation. So John chapter 21, verse 3. So Simon says, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll come too. So they all went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn... 
Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. I don't know if this story sounds familiar to you, if you've been walking with us through the story of Jesus. But when Jesus called Peter, a very similar thing happened. I think Peter had an immediate flashback. Oh, I'll throw the, no, the net on the other side. Here we go. And sure enough, here come all the fish, this miracle of the fish. So it connects. Jesus is here. Jesus is alive. And it says, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and he headed to shore. He realized it was Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus, as you read on in this chapter, we won't read it all right now. It's a process of John being restored by Jesus. And coming to terms with what the ramifications of the resurrections really meant. It changed everything for Peter. The resurrection changed everything for Peter. You see, coming alive means more than just believing in Jesus. Uh, the world pretty, pretty much nearly unanimously believes that Jesus was a historical figure. I don't think there's many people that say, I don't even believe Jesus existed. There are a few, but there's li- very little doubt of that. There are extra biblical sources, Roman sources, um, Jewish historian sources that all cite that Jesus was a very real person. Many people believe that Jesus existed, but believing the resurrection occurred is the next step. And I love that the gospel writers wrote with their own doubt, with their wrestling with their own doubt in this story. They were hiding. They were trying to move on with their lives. They were trying to just uh, pretend none of that happened. And, And but the reality, when it set in of the resurrection, it changed the course and the purpose of their lives. And suddenly they knew they couldn't live the same way they always had before. Even over the last three years with Jesus, something profound had changed. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French philosopher and mathematician, famously said this, I believe those witnesses who get their throats cut. You see, you don't lie. You you don't die for a lie. The disciples would go on To die as martyrs in horrific ways for the gospel. Some of them themselves were crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Others stoned to death. Some were pierced with spears. One was boiled in oil. These men would not have just made up the resurrection and taken that lie to the point of the grave universally across the board. What would they have to gain from that? What lie would be worth creating for them to gain? The disciples lived in poverty, many of them. Many of them lived on the edge of society just to bring the hope of the gospel to the world. And the thing is, also, the disciples weren't the only witnesses. The New Testament writers point to hundreds of people who were also witnesses. And and the writer says, "If if if you don't trust me, go ask them. He wrote it at a time when they were still alive. Hundreds of people that had seen the risen Jesus. One of those witnesses was a guy by the name of James. James was the natural born son of Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, you know, Jesus was supernaturally brought about by uh, the father, um, but uh, uh, by God. But Mary and Joseph also had natural born children. One of them was James. James did not believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. However... When he encountered the resurrected Jesus, his story changed and suddenly he declared him as Lord. I don't know what you would have to do for your siblings to convince them that you are the son of God. 
But James, James came to a, a knowledge, a belief that Jesus is who he says he is. I have encountered the risen Savior. So these people all suddenly, when they encountered the resurrection and actually came to terms with the, what that meant, it changed everything and they came alive. So as Jesus told Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 29, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You see, faith is when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. They couldn't explain the resurrection, but they couldn't deny what they encountered. They had no explanation, but they encountered the risen Jesus and this faith rose up within them. And we need to, church, come to a place, though we may not be able to be eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus, to believe that he is the resurrected king. You see, you can always find reasons to disbelieve what you want to disbelieve. I mean, look at, look at our society with the, the misinformation that's going around. When someone wasn't, doesn't want to believe something, they can start a whole movement for whatever that thing is, right? We can, we can disbelieve what we want to disbelieve. We can know that there's truth, but not concede to that truth. Look at what happened with the soldiers who were posted guard outside the tomb. I mean, an angel shows up and knocks you out, UFC style, and <laughs> rolls away a stone... And you wake up and, and, and someone's able to pay you off enough to say, yeah, someone just came and, you know, stole the body. They knew what they had encountered, but they were at a point where they were willing to concede truth because of what they were. They, they didn't want to accept what they had really encountered. But it doesn't. Let me tell you this. So we can even believe in the historical Jesus. We can even come to the point where we believe in the resurrection. But let me tell you, it doesn't end at the resurrection either. It doesn't end at believing the resurrection occurred because there's another level of response. What do we respond with then? What does that mean for me? You see, the crucifixion displays the humanity of Jesus. But the resurrection proved his deity. And so that brings us to the point, if we say, I believe that Jesus was resurrected, that means we have to actually believe that Jesus truly is God. And if that means we believe he is God, it means that we have to actually know that God came here and died and was resurrected for a purpose. God wouldn't do it just because he had nothing to do on a Thursday. He came to this earth for a reason. And that reason was he came for you. You see, God gave every one of us agency. That means free will, right? We have the ability to choose for ourselves what way we will go. When he created Adam and Eve in the garden, they were unique from creation because they could choose if they were going to obey God or go their own way. And because we've been given that free agency, we are not automatons. We are not, we are not robots. Can you imagine being forced into a relationship where you have to love someone? What's the, what's the good of a relationship where, it's, where you're coerced into it? And so God gave us free agency to choose our own way. And when we chose our own way, when we take this free agency, we ultimately, when we choose anything other than God's way, it's called sin. And in 1 John chapter 1, it says if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. So every one of us have sinned. That's coming short of God's glory because God in himself is perfect. I am glad that we have a perfect God. Amen. If we had a God that was flawed, he's like, well, I'll let that one slide. What, what standard do we have to go against? 
God is perfect and he cannot live with anything that is less than perfection. So when we sinned, we were separated from God and that separation brought us death. And so Jesus came, the reason Jesus came and died for our sins was to take our place and he did it voluntarily. Under no obligation. It wasn't nails that held Jesus on that cross. It was love that held Jesus on that cross. The book of Revelation says that he was slain for us before the foundations of the earth were laid. That means that that God had your way out before you even got in. God already had the way out to, to rescue us. And Jesus didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. I'll say that again. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. I just saw on my newsfeed, on my browser that comes up, that in, in a certain country, eight people were crucified in remembrance of, of uh, Easter. They actually had nails driven into their hands to a tree in this country as a way of honoring what Jesus did. Let me tell you, we do not need to put ourselves on the cross because he already went to the cross for us. He didn't just die for us. He died instead of us. He died for everyone. He didn't just die for people who grew up in different or better circumstances than you. He didn't just die for people who have never experienced a divorce. He didn't just die for people who haven't experienced bankruptcy. He didn't just die for people who haven't been incarcerated. He didn't just die for people who haven't had moral failure. He didn't just die for people who haven't had drug addiction or alcohol addiction or gambling addiction. Who have themselves felt like they are the cause of a family being ripped apart. Jesus died for everyone. No matter how far you feel from God. Jesus' death was sufficient for you. My sins are many. Your sins are many. But his mercy is more. Jesus defeated death in the grave so that we don't have to fear death in the grave. Jesus gave us purpose in this life with with no longer a fear of death or what's on the other side of it. There's an author by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien. You might have heard of him. He wrote this kind of little-known book called The Lord of the Rings. But he wrote this. He said, everything sad will come untrue. Everything sad will come untrue. I love what Peter wrote in his letter to the church. This is Peter. Remember, Peter, who believed Jesus. Then he unbelieved Jesus. Then he lied about believing Jesus. Then he re-believed Jesus, right? Peter, he wrote this in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He's writing this epistle to the church. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. We can live, church, with expectation. We can live with expectation, not just getting by, not just living for the weekend, not just going, I hope I can retire someday, but we live with expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And though, or and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. We have nothing to fear. Death has been defeated. 
This life is short. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. Some of you saw me drag out this rope. This is a long rope. I got it from my garage. And I put a piece of tape on this rope. This tape represents our life here on this earth. I remember when I was like 10 years old, I was like, it is gonna, my life is going to be forever. And now that I just turned into my, went into my 40s, I'm like, this life is short. Imagine with me that the beginning of this tape is the beginning of your life and the end of this tape is the end of your life. Whatever distance that may be, we don't have it guaranteed, but say that's 80 years and we might be falling somewhere along this line. But then we look at the rest of this rope. This rope goes on down this platform and out that door. It goes outside. It continues on down the street. It goes up over the overpass down to 126 into Eugene. And down all the way to the coast of Florence, across the ocean and around the world, and around the world, and around the world. That's how long eternity is, and we're here for this moment. Think about all these lifetimes that are put together. How much value is there in this lifetime that Jesus gave us, but then we have the hope of eternity. Eternal life is offered to you. Bible says this life is like a vapor. It's here and it's gone. But eternity is what matters. And eternity has been given to us because Jesus took death and he took the keys of death in Hades and he put it to shame, the Bible says. He gives us life because of his salvation that is offered to us. We have life. The resurrection then stands before us now. How do we respond? Do we want that eternal life? Are we just living to, to, to appease ourselves while we're in this brief moment of eternity or are we looking to it forever? In John eleven twenty five, the Bible says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes, though he may die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. So this morning, I invite you to come alive. Perhaps you've been feeling the emptiness and the weight of emptiness in your own life. You've been trying to fill it with distractions. Maybe it's sports, watching sports on TV. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's acquiring things. Maybe it's uh, retirement, whatever it might be. And you go, but what after that? What after that? What's waiting for me? Jesus is the biggest purpose we can ever have. Peter came to that realization when he encountered the resurrected Jesus. It's more than anything else I can fill my life with. He gives me purpose. He gives me life. He gives me hope. He is the person that drives me forward with with expectation, like he said. Do you have that hope within you this morning? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment? If you're in this room, And you need to come to terms with the resurrection. You, maybe you've accepted that Jesus was real. Maybe you've even thought, you know what? I can even uh, assent to the fact that he rose again. That, that's fine. But now it's actually like, what does this mean for me? And we have to come to terms with what the resurrection actually means and how that impacts our life. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through him. Jesus came and lived the perfect life we couldn't. He died not just for us, but instead of us. And we can receive that forgiveness that he offers that redemption the wrath of god was coming for the sin in our life but yet jesus stood in the way he took that sin upon himself and you want to receive that forgiveness from jesus and say i want eternal life i want to live for more than just the moments i want to have jesus come and give me new purpose and new life if you're in this room right now and you say pastor brent
I have never given my life to Jesus or maybe it has been years and I've been living on my own terms and right now I need to surrender to him. Let me tell you, it's not a small thing. Sometimes it's, it's presented in a way that it's just a magical little prayer we say and then everything's all safe. Let me tell you, it's surrendering ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. It's saying I'm no longer the boss of my life. I'm surrendering to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So do not take this lightly. If you're still wrestling with it, wrestle with it. But don't put it on the back burner and forget about it. Engage with the questions. Am I ready to make Jesus my Lord and Savior? So if you have come to that point, maybe the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart and you have been feeling itchy ever since uh, we started the service. You've been feeling something moving within you and it's, it's the prompting of God saying, Come home. Come home. You say, Pastor Brent, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Right now, I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray with you. Thank you. I see that hand. Who else says, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus? Thank you. That hand and that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Yes. Thank you. You can put your hands down this morning. What we're going to do now, church, is we're going to pray a prayer. And like I said, this prayer is not magical. It's a prayer of commitment. It's a prayer of belief saying, Jesus, I believe who you say you are, but now I commit you as my Lord and my Savior. So in this room right now, everyone who's ever prayed that prayer or made this commitment, or if you just raised your hand, repeat this after me and let's pray it with conviction, all right? Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again. And you offer me life. So I give you my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a fresh start. I will follow you from this day forward. You are my king and you are my Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Did you know the Bible says that heaven throws a party when someone comes home, when one of the lost sinners comes home? We thank Jesus that these have come home. Praise God. Praise God. Let me tell you this, before Melissa comes up and leads us in our connection cards, the story doesn't end here. Did you know that? Sometimes we come to uh, an Easter service and we're like, let the credits roll, Jesus is alive, the end. Did you know that the book of Luke is actually part one? It's like the Lord of the Rings, part one. The book of Acts is the continuation of that story. What does that actually mean in this world now? What does the resurrection mean for us today? And so, starting next week, we're going to be walking out into the book of Acts into what, as followers of Jesus, this actually means as we live it out in our world in 2023. 2,000 years since Jesus was resurrected. For 2,000 years, we've been recognizing his resurrection. What does that mean for us today? So make sure you come next week as we, as we dive into what this actually means, how it applies. So um, I just want to encourage you in that. We're in a few minutes, we're going to go out and pet the baby adorable animals and things like that. But before we do, Melissa is going to come, Pastor Melissa is going to come lead us in doing our connection cards. So if you'll get out your phones um, and go to that QR code for our Sunday links or go to nlcchurch.com slash connect or use the paper connection card, Melissa.
And for those of us who believe, we get to share in this glorious day with Jesus. So will you please stand? We're going to sing one more time about this glorious day, about the amazing things that Jesus has done. Come on, we sing.